Welcome to episode 19 of the Legends Podcast. My name is Sam Manheimer. I have one half of the hosting contingency on the Legends Pod, and I am joined here by my co-host, Ari Levy. We have what's going on, guys? What's up? I just said what's going on. Oh. You could cut that out. Not much, dude. Um, anyway, we got a great show for you all today. We have one of our good friends from college, Jacob, quote, junior, end quote, wrecked as our guest. He is a host and producer and engineer at iHeartMedia slash ESPN Pittsburgh. He goes into some depth on how he landed that position, what that day-to-day looks like as a producer. And we actually didn't really talk too much about being a host, but he does host a show a couple times a week. And I think you guys will find from the interview that he, he can talk. And that is a perfect trait for somebody who hosts a radio show. So we're excited to bring you that in a few minutes. Before we get into that, Ari, you and I are both double vaxxed up. And with that comes the loss of the greatest excuse that we've had in our lifetimes to get out of social engagements. And that is uh, we can't because of COVID. I really milked that excuse for a while. Uh, It was great not to go places. It was a great excuse to do nothing, which I which I do. as you know, I enjoy doing nothing. And. Now that we're double vaxxed and like we've already seen it, like people are starting to get together and, and gather in larger groups. And, you know, there's light at the end of the tunnel, which is good. But I am sad about losing the excuse. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely still things that I could use the excuse on. We're not completely out of the woods yet. So I think we still got another month or two of it while people are still getting their vaccinations. But, yeah, I think we're on our hopefully, fingers crossed, our, our last days of being able to use this excuse. And with that now comes their requirement to socialize again because we're 20-somethings and we're slaves to our friendships. And I think because of that, we also have to now deal with hangovers yet again, which was something that luckily we had avoided for about 365 days plus. This summer is going to be a summer of, I think, predominantly outside house parties. Which is fine. No, I... Yeah, I don't need to go to a bar and spend 50 to 100 bucks every weekend. It's just like not in the cars. I do like going to bars sometimes, but like I much rather go to a party where like I could bring my own 12 pack of White Claw and yeah. not have to drop 60 bucks on like three drinks. But the hangovers are coming back. I had a gnarly one today and I figured out my cure after years of research and developments into hangover cures. It's sweat. It's 100% sweat. I live by my gym. I go to the sauna. I sweat it out. I feel better. Do you perform the Jewish triathlon? Oh, I'm a big Jewish triathlon guy. Uh, For those that don't know, the Jewish triathlon is a sauna, steam, and a hot tub. Uh, Me and Andy Margolis have run in many Jewish triathlons together over the years, and it's one of my favorite things to do. It's a great Sunday activity. You're a triathlete. I'm a triathlete. I'm a Jewish triathlete. Five times gold medal. I mean, they should. We yeah, we should make a a real Jewish triathlon amongst our friends and like turn it into a competition. It's like, how long can you sit in the sauna for? You know, something like that. <laughs> that sounds kind of miserable because I feel like that just ends in somebody passing out. Yeah, sauna, which kind of defeats the purpose. That was about 15 minutes. At my gym, though, they have like one of those uh like hour glasses with the sand mm-hmm. that it, it, you turn it and it's 15 minutes 
So I just pretty much do it through that. The steam, I don't know. Like there's no like clock or anything in there. So I don't know how long I'm in there for. Also, it's a little too hot. So I'm a dry, I'm a dry guy. I like the sauna. What's, um, okay. I was going to ask actually, what is your preferred, like what's your ideal steam room slash sauna? Do you prefer one that has like the little rocks where you pour the water on and control the amount of steam? Do you like just a steam room that has steam come out in regular intervals or do you like the dry sauna? So I have both. I mean, my sauna has the rocks, but there's a big sign that says don't pour water on the rocks. But that's obviously a sign to actually, it's like reverse psychology. Like you should pour water on the rocks. I sometimes pour water on the rocks, but like, keep in mind, like that doesn't generate that much steam, you know? Yeah. Like it's still like pretty dry. Like, yeah, you might get a little, but I, I do prefer the dry. Just for me, like I feel like I overheat in the wet, like when the steam comes out. And I also like, like I get wet and like my hair gets wet. And I, then I like don't know if I'm sweating or if I'm just wet. And like I like in the sauna knowing that I'm like sweating. That's interesting because I'm actually kind of the opposite. I prefer the wet sauna because I think I do sweat more naturally in there anyway. Because I'll get out of a, a steam room and then I'm, I'm schwitzing after I dry off. Yeah. But I like the condensation on me because then I feel like I'm sweating maybe even more than I am. And I feel like I'm getting more out. Yeah, for sure. And um, just living so close to the gym, it's just such a easy fix for anything. Like, you know, if I feel gross, but I don't really want to go work out, I'll just go do a sauna. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, for sure. And I, we were we didn't have it for a year because the gym took it away. And I just was always like, I just don't understand why they just like are like two people at a time, whatever, which is what they're doing now. But like, I mean, I was, I didn't have it for a year and it was a tough year. And Do you have to wear a mask in the sauna? Not, not in there. I was going to say that sounds brutal. Yeah. Some people sit in there with the mask on and I'm just like, I don't know how you're doing it. Yeah. I mean, I'm perfectly fine wearing a mask at the gym because like, you just sort of have to, it's not enjoyable by any means, but I mean, it just is what it is. It's I'm willing to put up with it, but yeah, a, a steam room or a sauna with a damp face mask, just like sweat sticking to your face with that. Yeah, that you does could, not sound enjoyable. You could do it. You could do it in the dry easier than you could in the wet. Yeah. Um, you'd have to ring, you'd have to bring two masks if you're going into the steam room. Yeah. Like, you would not be able to wear that. Though, for, um, if you're lifting, you have to, um, put a mask on but the cardio like they've like boxed off each like machine like the treadmills and the ellipticals and bikes into like your own little like bubble so you could take your mask off while you work out Interesting. which is pretty nice and then there's a lot of tennis courts i don't play tennis but i i see people down there they don't have to wear their masks because i guess you could like play it very socially distanced and like it's in like a huge like you know indoor it's kind of like a dome and cool. yeah yeah good ventilation my building has a steam room or a sauna i'm actually not sure which one it is because it's been closed the entire time i've lived here but that is one of the things that i am most looking forward to about covid getting eased up a little bit is just being able to not even have to leave my building to get a good schwitz in yeah but like it's funny because cone's building has a sauna and they, it's technically closed i mean he's been going in there but it's closed but I just like don't understand why they don't open it because if it's like yeah like only one person at a time like you're paying Hard. to live there. The key words are out of an abundance of caution. 
which is the same you words that I use to get out of social engagements when I was invited. It's like out of an abundance of caution, I, I'm respectfully declining. So That's everyone's true. using that excuse. You're not wrong. Well, speaking, those words. Yeah, speaking of, uh, of cones, we, we were there on Friday night. Joe had a little party. It was fun. All get together, I would say. Yeah. I went to the bathroom and I was about to start urinating and I looked in the toilet and I saw there was some toilet paper that was like kind of like in the hole, like in the center of it. And I look under it and I found a phone. There was a phone in the toilet. There was a phone in the toilet. We all rushed in as soon as you kind of came out with the most puzzled look on your face saying, I, th- I think there's a phone in the toilet. We all had to verify it. And indeed, yeah. indeed there was a phone. And the, the highlight of it was the girl whose phone it was came in, got the phone and then her friend puts a hand on her shoulder and just says like, it's okay, honey, these things happen. And I make eye contact with the girls that I was like, what are you talking about? These things yeah. don't happen. <laughs> yeah, that's bad. I mean, I get it. If you sit down and might like slip out and fall in, but she said she'd been looking for it for like 15 minutes. I felt, yeah. I felt very bad for her. Then that, then that other girl just like went, it, it, it wasn't even her phone, but she just like took her hand and just like shoved it into the toilet and grabbed it. Like I wasn't picking it up. And I, they are lucky that like I didn't start peeing. You're a gentleman for having refrained from doing that. Well, what I'm, what I'm saying is like, cause it was like kind of buried. It, in was there. Concealed. it was concealed. I know. I was like, I might've not noticed it. It's a good thing you just have astute observational skills. Yeah, I got eyes like a hawk, man. I just see these things. Speaking of seeing things before you, they happen, did you see Jake Paul destroying Ben Askrew? I did not watch the fight live, but I did see the highlights. And uh, we talked about it last time. But like, yeah, like Jake Paul is legit. Like He's now fought a UFC fighter who was a wrestler. Yeah, but, he's a guy. Like, I mean, Ben Askren's, like, career is just, like, he's just now known for arguably, well, it was the fastest knockout in UFC history. He got knocked out in the fastest He got knocked out. Yeah, him and me for Jorge Masvidal in, like, three seconds. Like, they rang the bell. He ran up there, threw the knee, knocked him out. And then now he got knocked out by YouTuber Jake Paul. Yeah, and I and mispronounced his name. It is Ben Askren. I think the announcers during the fight last night were calling him Ben Askren though. Like it just wasn't an entirely professional setup in any regard. I think. Yeah. Um, it's like the, like they were all cheering for Jake Paul. It was Snoop Dogg was doing it. Like they didn't like, no one really gave a fuck about Ben Askren. I don't think Ben Askren gave a fuck about Ben Askren. Cause he, he'd been saying leading up to the fight that he really wasn't preparing for it at all. He got paid half a million dollars just to show up. I mean, he got his ass kicked. I don't think there was a fix. Probably not, but. I mean, he, he got a bag, so good for him. I don't think it was a fix either, but, yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting now. Dylan Danis said he would fight uh, Jake Paul, and now I'm convinced. I think Jake Paul could beat Dylan Danis if they box. Jake Paul's big. I mean, he, yeah. I mean, if he's fighting these littler guys, like, I mean, Nate Robinson is, like, what, 5'9", maybe? Jake Paul's got yeah. at least 6'3". I mean, he's got... He's big. He's long. I would not want to fight him. So I hope he fights someone his own size who actually knows how to box. Because I'm coming on the Legends podcast and I'm calling out Jake Paul. I want him next. How much would you pay Jake Paul for a fight? Like a hundred dollars. How much would I pay him? Yeah, because he's been offering people money to fight. Because he he offered I think McGregor a million, and then obviously McGregor turned that down or didn't even respond. Well, I'm not paying him. He's he needs to pay me. Like if he wants me to show up, like I better be getting the bag. And What's I just looked worth? up. He's only five ten. Really? Yeah. Wow. 
he he looks way bigger than that. He does look pretty big. He's wow. a scary like looking six two or six three. Wow. My Logan big. Paul is six two. I thought they were twins. Uh, Logan's a little older, I think. Uh, I was gonna say, I guess, I guess that's why Jake's yeah. a fighter because he's just like the shorter version of his brother, so he's got to learn how to fight. Yeah, I don't think that he'll fight Conor McGregor because yeah. I don't think McGregor gains anything by fighting him, other than money, which he has plenty of, and he could still get a couple mil for a UFC fight. But yeah. also, like McGregor doesn't want to lose that fight realistically if he's fighting jake paul at this point like that is just putting up the white flag and saying that the career is over and the ufc which like i don't think he's ready to do yet well no he's fighting dustin poirier again in july yeah i mean like that's a that's a fight he should take because he lost to him and he needs to regain some stature based on where he's at but jake paul's not it yeah i mean it's weird because like everyone's like, oh, Jake Paul's not a professional fighter. What happens when he fights a professional fighter? I'm like, well, he's been training like a professional fighter. so He may be a professional fighter at this point. He's making a lot of money doing it, and he's winning these fights. Yeah. I don't know. If he fought a guy like Ryan Garcia, he'd probably – Well, Ryan Garcia's putting everyone in a body bag these days. I think he's – He's got the fastest hands I've ever seen, basically. I'm not a a big boxer. Yeah, his hands are insane. For those that haven't seen it, definitely like just like check out his Instagram. He posts a lot of photos of like him hitting like moving bags and like is just it's insane. He also has the body shot challenge, which is where he'll get celebrities and his friends to wear these like chest protectors that uh, boxing trainers wear as they're sparring or, or kind of fake sparring with people for practice. And he'll just throw hooks into people's chests. And even with the pad on, they still go down every time. The one guy yeah. who was able to hold up was um, Francis Ngannou. Yeah. Francis Ngannou took it like a champ, but that makes sense because Francis Ngannou is one of the baddest guys on the planet. For sure. But Garcia um, could put anyone else down. Yeah. I mean, in Garcia's last fight, he won off a body shot. Like, yeah. he knocked the guy so, out with a body shot, which is crazy. Yeah, you really don't see that that often in boxing. Yeah. But, yeah, so Jake Paul, I mean, it's just, like, one of those stories to me that it's, like, I, I think it's kind of cool just because he's just, like, 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 who is Jake Paul? He's just, like, some kid from Cleveland that's a YouTuber, and he's, like, I'm just going to get good at boxing and, like, call out other celebrities. And he's, like, winning these fights decisively and it's just like the legend keeps growing and i'm like well he's self-made like good for him well anyways you get any dogecoin manny uh unfortunately not because otherwise i'd be on the moon yeah it's crazy to see what that's done i mean dogecoin isn't even like a real currency like like there's no finite amount of it so like with bitcoin and other cryptos i don't know how much bitcoin there is but like I could look up how many bitcoins are there. There's all right. There's there's 21 million. So there's like a finite supply. There's like there's billions of dot of Dogecoin, and they can make more at any time. So there's like no like value. Um, it's like the Jerome Powell Fed. Exactly. So there's a circulating supply of 127 billion Dogecoin, but. With that being said, I mean, it was worth like 0.0002 a year ago. And it, if you took 12, your $1,200 stimulus check and you put it into Doge, it's at $0.32 cents now. You'd, it would have made $156,000. Damn. That, 
I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty on that. But yeah, pretty pretty wild. And it was just made as a meme. Yeah, and I had been watching Dogecoin. Like, it had just been on my list for years. Like, probably, like, two years I had, like, known about it. But I was like, maybe I should just put, like, a couple hundred bucks into this that I, like, don't need and just, like, see what happens because it's, like, like so such a low amount. But I was, like, never ended up getting to it. And now I put a hundred bucks in the other day at 33 cents, and it's at uh, 32.99 now. So I'm down, like, two bucks. Tough. Yeah. Speaking speaking of getting money virtually, I was Venmoed $100 this weekend by our friend Mark, but for a very unfortunate reason. So on Friday, Mark and I were planning on getting dinner. We've been making plans for the past week um, since he's been in town. And we decide on Frontera Grill in River North in Chicago. Skip Bayless, his brother, Rick Bayless, one of his restaurants. If you didn't know, Skip Bayless and Rick Bayless are brothers. Blows everyone's mind. I love, that's my favorite fun fact. Now, now you can use it too. Anyway, I divvy down to River North. It's like 40 degrees out. I'm in a jacket. My hands get pretty cold, but otherwise pretty nice night. As I get into River North, I'm riding around trying to find a divvy station. And at one point I was driving down, let's just say Illinois. And this family starts crossing the street jaywalking. And this kid starts doing the Naruto run where his like head's down and his arms are back. And he like runs right in front of my bike. And I had to give him one of the fat Albert. Hey, hey, hey. And then he like stopped. And then I went around him, but nearly killed the kid. Parked the Divi bike. Go to the restaurant. 8.15, right at the time of the reservation. Mark calls, says that he can't make it. For reasons outside of his control, I guess. Anyway was put in the spot where I either could eat at the restaurant by myself or just cancel the reservation. It was already the time that the reservation was kicking off. So I just went with it. I ate solo dolo. It was just me and Rick Bayless's food. It's actually a kind of fantastic experience, but I think if you ever have the opportunity to get bailed on last second and you can eat by yourself, just take it. You learn a lot about yourself. It's like traveling solo, but kind of more uncomfortable because you're just with other people socializing and you're by yourself. But I just read the journal, FaceTimed a couple people, ate some good food, had a marg. It was, it was all in all a good experience. I, res- I respect that. I can't remember the last time I went to like a nice restaurant solo. Like I've like gotten food from like somewhere like at, at Chipotle and then sat down by myself, yeah. but got, gone to a nice meal. But that, you know, I respect that. It was, a, it was good. It was good. And now I realize that I just have this in my bag now. I can just go to any restaurant I want, make a reservation for two, get there by myself, be like, oh, like there was a last second emergency, but I wanted to keep the reservation. And I can just eat by myself wherever I want. I don't and have to that, pay for anybody else. Yeah. And you also, also like, you know, some of these hostesses at these restaurants in River North are like pretty cute. And like when you walk in and you like by yourself, they're going to think you're just like a creep. But if you go, oh, I had a reservation for two, but my friend can't make it. Like he's having a baby. I don't know. You can make up some lie. <laughs> you, you, uh, you know, they'll be like, oh, like he seems like a nice guy and he's just enjoying a meal by himself. I respect that. You know, yeah. you, you flip the narrative. I mean, that would have been a good move had I not been in a serious committed relationship. But I do think that the waiter that was helping me out. In my case. Pay- no, in no, your case, and anyone who's single, because I hear you. The the waiter did definitely pay extra special attention to me because I think he wanted to make the experience nice, which was appreciated. Well, that's um, good. Service <laughs> is 
the one thing that was kind of funny that came out of that. So I have a tree nut allergy, unfortunately. It's something I've lived with for like my entire life, basically. I wanted to get this seared salmon in this peanut reduction, which was actually really good. Um, but because it was a peanut reduction, I wanted to make sure that there weren't any other tree nuts that I needed to be aware of. Peanuts, if you don't know, are legumes, which is a family of bean. So not a nut, common misconception. Anyway, the, the guy goes, hmm, how allergic are you? And I was like, I mean, I really shouldn't have it. And he just walked away. So it wasn't entirely clear if there were going to be tree nuts in this thing. I get it. And as soon as I get the food, I see there's like peanuts on it, which is always kind of just like one of those things that like sets my alarms off. It's like, is it a peanut? Is it some other type of nut? I realized it's fine to eat at a restaurant by yourself, but you can't go into anaphylactic shock at a restaurant by yourself. Because then like, what is like a a hostess going to have to escort you to the ER? Like, what's going to be the protocol? Like, are they going to have to call an ambulance for you? And then you're just like solo dolo in a hospital. So that was the one piece of it that I was actually pretty nervous about. Yeah. Luckily, the peanut reduction was just peanut and I was all good. And it was a very dank meal. I know. But those restaurants, though, like, I mean, like, I understand that you always got to be on the lookout for yourself, but like they need to take that stuff seriously. Oh, and they do. Yeah. Because if you're like, yeah, I have a nut allergy and then they bring you nuts and you eat them they're like you could sue them. Like it it could just go that way. So I know we're on a tangent here, but I do need to tell this other story. So I was going. Have you ever heard of MFK? It's a restaurant on diversity. Heard of MLK. MFK. Different. Um, But it's. I, I always think it's like motherfucker, but it's MFK, which like, I guess the order, I, I guess still makes sense. It's like, a I, I see anyway, that's just where my mind goes. So I go there, I'm with my girlfriend's parents and my girlfriend, I think it was like probably the second or third time I'd been with her parents. So I was still trying to like make a good impression. Obviously I still am trying to do that, but like, in those well, early like, stages, it's a certain point where you like stop caring. But anyway, yeah, yeah. I'm not trying to like make an impression. I just like I have the imp- they have the impression that they have of me. So I was still in that formative point. So get into this restaurant, pretty small space. The waitress goes, "Are there any allergies that we need to be aware of?" So I, I say, "Hey, like I, I have a tree nut allergy," and then she's like, "Oh, okay." So then she goes into the kitchen. Maybe five minutes later, the chef comes out, and the chef says very matter of factly, look, everything in the kitchen is in and around almond flour. Like we use almond flour in everything that we cook. And I was like, all right, well, that's not great for me, but can you cook anything without the almond flour? And he's like, ah, I'm not really sure. Maybe, but there's almond flour everywhere in the kitchen. I was like, what are you guys doing? Just like cutting open bags of almond flour and just shaking it out over everything. Like it made no sense. Anyway, so he goes back. Maybe 10 minutes later, now the manager comes out and the manager is like looking very concerned. And, and I think she said, look, not only do we not suggest that you eat anything here, we actually suggest that you leave the restaurant because there's almond flour in the air. And I was like, I've been here for 20 minutes. I'm not dying right now. Is there anything we could do here? And I was like, I'm, I'm not going to die just from proximity to this stuff. Like, is there yeah. any way you could just cook the food without any sort of almond flour being in the food. And then she's like, oh, like, let me check. And then maybe 10 minutes later, she comes back out again. She's like, actually, there's like five things you can have that don't have almond flour. It's like, okay, so we just wasted 30 minutes going over all of your concerns. That That's that's so bizarre, though. Oh, because, it's crazy. Well, no, it's just like, 
like especially in food service like you have to be very conscious of peanut allergies and like yeah like they're you know like there's gonna be food that has that have nuts in them but like just to like be like everything we do is like peanuts like that's like almost just like very dangerous like, yeah as a restaurant. well that's that's why they came out and we're so yeah cautious and, and out of an abundance of caution we can circle back on that they were they were very clear about the issues at stake so i mean i i was happy that they were so concerned but at the yeah. same time they were just i think making a much bigger deal out of it i was very clear with them up front i can have anything as long as it doesn't have the flour in it like i can put a almond in my mouth and spit it out yeah. and i'll be fine like it's not well, gonna I, was gonna say, I was gonna ask how allergic are are you to them you just can't eat them but yeah there was this kid when i was a counselor at camp shy who was so a really nice kid too. I don't remember his name, but super nice kid, really cool. But he was so allergic to peanuts that like, apparently like at his school, like he was like playing basketball and he had picked up a ball that someone had touched maybe hours earlier. I don't know who had eaten peanuts and he had to go to the hospital. And like, and so when, when they did meals, he had like a reserved seat and they would bring him his food directly from the kitchen. And like they had like the camp director come talk. And basically they were like, I think Camp Shy has gone totally nut free though, just out of an abundance of caution, just from like kids with but they were basically like, like, you cannot have any sort of nut products in this cabin at, under any circumstances. Yeah. Like, I mean this kid I, was like so deathly allergic to peanuts that like touching one could like literally kill. Yeah, that's crazy. I'm very thankful for my allergies not being that extreme it does mm-hmm. suck having them but I, I realize they're all on a spectrum and it could be a lot worse so yeah. that, that's pretty tough and it's it's a it's even harder too because people just like associate nut allergies with just like kind of dweebs there could be some really great people out there that have nut allergies it's just an awkward thing to have to bring up and then it yeah. usually feel like less than but all right it is what it is do you all right so you have a nut allergy and a dairy allergy, which we've discussed at length. Yeah, we have um, discussed that as well. If you if you had to pick one to not be allergic to, what would it be? Definitely dairy, because yeah. nuts it's pretty common for people to be allergic, and honestly, not that much stuff has nuts in it outside of desserts. There's a lot of desserts that have nuts, but there's dairy and way more things. Yeah, I can go on at length about not being able to eat pizza the awkward moment where I'm in a group and people are like, Hey, like what should we do for dinner? Why don't we just order a large pizza? And I have to be the guy that's like, Hey, that's not going to work. And then everyone has to reconsider the plan. So if I could go my entire life without having to do that ever again, I would choose that a million times out of a million. over the. And I I always forget. I still forget that you are uh, allergic to to dairy because sometimes I'll just be like, Oh, you know, I'll just be like, Oh, let's get pizza or, do we want to get ice cream or something? And you're just yeah. like, I have a dairy allergy. And I'm like, I knew that. Yep. People actually are very accommodating for it. And I, I, I do appreciate that. My friends are good people with my allergies. But yeah, I mean. And then, even, but even then sometimes like they'll text you at the beginning of the quarantine and just be like, hey, like, I know you're immune compromised because of your dairy allergy. And like, I hope you don't get COVID. Yeah, no, I appreciated that. <laughs> um, also, the biggest insult that I've received for my dairy allergies is just when people say eat cheese oh yeah that's tough i I would love to not have to take that because it's like oh eat nuts all right like i'm not gonna like go down a bag of almonds but cheese it's like people do eat that pretty frequently all right well shout out to eli cooper on his wedding yesterday looked looked lit congratulations 
Um, and I think without further ado, please welcome on Jacob Jr. Rec. Now we welcome on a very special guest, a dear friend of mine, my old friend, Junior Wrecked, pledge brother of the Ada class. We've been through some shit together, but here he is on the other side of it all, like Andy Dufresne. Welcome to the pod. After he crawled through 500 yards of shit, Andy Dufresne on the other side. Gentlemen, how are we? I am honored to be here. There's been a long line of guests in front of me, a lot of which which I've known and I've been extremely envious of. I can't tell you how pumped I am. I'm finally here. Well, Sam and I were just talking about how this has been. Everything in my career has been building up to this moment. I've done internships. I've done freelance work. I've done real jobs, and it's all been to land on the podcast, and now I'm well, here. Junior, you'd also realize that every guest that we've had before you has been to sharpen the sword for the moment that you joined <laughs> us. So this is kind of an unstoppable force meeting an immovable object, if you will. I am here. I am ready to butt heads if that comes to it. Well, hopefully it won't. <laughs> There's not that much butting heads on this podcast. Yeah. I'll, I'll I told Sam, I was like, I was like, dude, if we like really want to get this big, like we got to start getting in some big Twitter wars and then people will know who we are. Or we could just start, start arguing. Here's where it's at. Manheimer is one of my newest followers. He's, He's new. He's a little young to the game, but we're welcome to have him. I'm a lurker. I, I would say I'm not young to the game, but I've been sitting in the shadows. And you have been. That's I, that's a better way of saying it. I'll sometimes come out and rear my claws, but generally I'm just sitting on the sidelines consuming content. I gotta follow you, Junior. All right. I I didn't even know that we weren't following each other. That's probably my fault. You know, it's funny because when we had um, we had Dy on, I talked about how I was new to the Twitter game. And, like, I just kind of, like, had it but didn't really use it. And then the next day, Dave Portnoy retweeted me. I mean, I that's why. Because I was like, Ari, I feel like I've seen all of your shit on Twitter with you and your boy, who I'm just blanking on. the uh, Kramer. Kramer. Yeah, Kramer. I mean, yeah. you guys, I mean you're, you're going for a Kramer Portnoy 2024, right? Dude, I had this hat made. Look at this. You had a hat made? That's pretty cool. Well, all right. I, I had the I had the hat yeah for the I could put a picture out of it when we drop the episode but I had this Kramer Portnoy 2024 hat made because after I my call went viral when I was like Kramer Portnoy 2024 I like called them the next day the Mad Money people and was like yo like I really enjoyed like coming on the show if you guys ever want to ha- like the call the call went viral like got two hundred thousand views like you're you're I, a frequent caller of that program or you know it was twice I just put it on okay. Instagram both times but I was like I was like um I was like if you guys ever want to have me on again like just let me know and then they called me the next day and were like do you want to like submit a video for Kramer's 16th anniversary like just like thanking him i was like yeah they're like all right get it in tomorrow and i was like i want this to go like really viral so i went to lids it had this custom no made way. and then i made the video but i guess it died on the cutting room floor because they never wow. put it into the episode maybe maybe it'll get there if not for 16 maybe for 32 yeah or 17 Something you know like <laughs> Maybe I don't have to wait 16 years, but I, I, I'm going to take a break from calling in, but I will be back. Well, when I think of a really good question, I will be back. 
I gotta tell you this right now. In terms of having shows that include callers, people love callers. I mean, there are a few that don't, but it's just evidence that people give a shit about what you're saying, even if they're like trolls and just trying to fuck around. Like they're still taking the time out of their day to call into your show. So like, don't ever think like it's like if it's a it's it's not the best question you could ask. Like they want you to call in. People love having other people interact with their content. Yeah, and if you ask like a shitty question, like you just get like shit on. Right, and, and that and, and like, that's yeah. better for them that they can shit on you on their program and make themselves look better. And it's yeah. a win-win. It's really a win-win. Yeah. Also, like the thing with the uh, Mad Money though is it's recorded an hour before they put it out. So like. Even like you can't really troll because if I called in and was like go fuck yourself like right. they would just like cut it out. Right. I guess it's different for radio. Radio yeah. is just. It's oh, yeah. Radio is different. And speaking of trolling, do you remember when you you had your radio show in college? Right. And I was biased, and I right. called in, and then I'd like ask a question and just be like, "Baba Booey Howard Stern's penis." <laughs> so <laughs> I can get into details about uh, my job career projection so far yeah please but real quick i've been actually on the air i started off as just a producer but now i'm a host and producer and ever since i turned host my biggest fear has been getting a call with an 847 area code number and having it be you and having a call screener not know who you are and you just kind of coming on and and uh doing that again but i haven't seen that yet so I'm I'm a little That's upset true. because I wish, you know, I could have had that flashback, but I'm also happy that you haven't made it on to embarrass me in a national uh national audience. All right. Well listen, I've called in on uh Sam Parker's dad's talk show before and I've gave, you know, real real questions. I called in on Kramer. I build a track record of not trolling on my calls anymore. I would call in your show and not troll. I swear college is those are beyond my days. Like, like, like those days are in the past. Like I'm, I'm a legit caller now. That's cool. Sam actually did some trolling back in the day too. My, my dad's uh, law firm's website had this like live cat feed. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, Yellen and Reese would be the guys to hop on there and do some trolling. So don't think that you're the only member of the legends podcast to do some uh naive trolling back in the the college days what wouldn't they be like wouldn't they like type things up like they would let the question like they would like be talking for a while and be like yeah like i was assaulted yeah 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 yeah. and they'd be like yeah like we can help you like this assailant's name was junior wrecked right (laughs) it would lead on as if it was a real case to be uh taken on and then just they would throw it away with my name you're taking arrows out of my quiver because I was actually going to bring that up. But what you uh, said was false. I was never one of the live chat perpetrators. I think you missed Drew Paul as the uh, perpetrator number one. Drew Paul probably was instigator public enemy number one when it came to that live chat. You're right. You're right. And public enemy number one in many other regards, too. Most of them Bloomington side. Talking about Twitter trolls, I mean, that's the only person I still actively troll. <laughs> Talk about uh, recent um, Julian Edelman's announcement for his retirement. Drew Paul has been stroking the narrative of Julian Edelman deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. And, oh, my gosh, I, I could throw my phone at the wall every time I've seen Drew retweet or like something and it pops up on my Twitter feed about Edelman's case to make the Hall of Fame. It's just it's ridiculous. Yeah, I actually saw something on Twitter which, like, 
got me thinking. And believe me, like when he retired and like, I like Julian Edelman a lot. And like, obviously he's a Jew. It's like pretty cool. Yeah. But yeah. aside from that, I was like, Oh, he's a hall of famer. He has won. Was it three Super Bowls, two or three, something like that, but whatever he's, three. you know, he's up there. But like, I saw a tweet that was like hall or wide receivers added to the hall of fame since like the nineties. And it's like Calvin Johnson, Randy Moss, Tory Holt, that's Marvin Harrison. No, I think it's Marvin Harrison too. But anyways, it's like a very elite class yes, that like right. skill wise, Julian Edelman is not a part of. Nowhere but near. I love Julian Edelman. Nowhere near. I mean, a lot yeah. of people here will make the comparison to Heinz Ward, who was the biggest bruising wide receiver since 2000 probably. I mean, no one went across the middle of the field unprotected like Heinz Ward did. I mean, the guy ended a dude's career. This kid in Cincinnati was a rookie linebacker, and Heinz Ward was leading the block on a screen set up on the far sideline. Heinz Ward, it's it's like a new rule now. It's that crackback block that you can't do on offense anymore or on, on punt or kick returns. Heinz Ward ended a kid's career. I, I, I'm pretty sure he was a rookie, too, in Cincinnati on a crackback block. And then after that, those became completely illegal. So... But Heinz Ward also won Super Bowl MVP, multiple Super Bowl wins, more Pro Bowls, more receiving yards, more catches. And Heinz Ward's – no one ever has mentioned Heinz Ward's name in the Hall of Fame conversation yeah. whatsoever. Yeah, it's interesting you bring that up because I just pulled up their Wikipedias, which, I mean, I know people say, oh, Wikipedia is not a reliable source, but it is for just like quick bits. For and numbers, yeah. It says Julian Edelman never even made a Pro Bowl. I don't uh, think he, he did get Pro Super Bowl MVP. Um, but Heinz Ward, you know, is a two-time Super Bowl champion, Super Bowl MVP, four-time Pro, Pro Bowl, or three-time second-team All-Pro. So I guess merely based off accolades, I don't know if Julian Edelman would be a Hall of Famer. But I, I like that's the definition of a guy that was like undersized probably doubted on if he can make it in the NFL. And I mean, we, we in Pittsburgh like to make the comparison to Heinz Ward. Don't even look to Pittsburgh. Look to New England. Wes Welker had better numbers than Julian Edelman. He just never won a Super Bowl. That's the only thing that separates the two of them is that when he was in New England, it was Eli Manning standing in the way. It wasn't this elite second coming of Tom Brady that Julian Edelman got to have with him. And and there was no Rob Gronkowski really there. Gronk was a, I believe, a rookie in Welker's last Super Bowl team with the Patriots. So it wasn't the same. I mean, Tom Brady was a different guy. So, I mean, you want to say Super Bowl matters? Sure. But if you want to say number matters, I mean, Wes Welker was a better, small, slot kind of guy than Julian Edelman was. It just Julian Edelman came on during the better years to be a Patriot. Yeah, and, and Wes Welker, uh, five-time Pro Bowler, two-time first All-Pro, first-team All-Pro, two-time second-team All-Pro, and three-time NFL receptions leader. And, and like, Super Bowl. We, we all know that now the Pro Bowl is so inundated with guys. Like, it, it really doesn't matter if you make the Pro Bowl. It's all about the first or second or third-team All-Pro. But the fact that Edelman – never even made a Pro Bowl shows you like how ineffective he was during the regular season. During the pro during the postseason, it's a different it's a different question because I think he played in like eighteen postseason games, which is a ridiculous number, no matter what era of football you play in, but he was in that 
second Patriot signing. So that's how he got all of those gains under his belt. But I don't know. I, I, I don't like the fact that the Hall of Fame Twitter account came out within the the hour or like within the half hour of Edelman announcing his retirement and saying Julian Edelman will be eligible for the Hall of Fame in 2026 when Marquise Pouncey, who made the NFL All-Decade team as the center, announced his retirement a month after the the uh, the Steelers season ended. There was no big rush to say, oh, he's got to get in. There was no Hall of Fame Twitter account saying, oh, Pouncey's got to be or going to be eligible in 2026. This is the guy who made multiple first-team All-Pros, second-team All-Pros, Pro Bowls, the All-Decade team. No one, no one said anything about, oh, we got to start those conversations now. It's just, it's because he was with Tom Brady, he was with Bill Belichick. But I'm, I'm mad that I've allowed the mentioning of Drew Paul's name to allow us to talk this much about Boston sports because that's not yeah, what the conversation is supposed to be about. Bounty posted a photo on Instagram that in 2011 that said free Aaron Hernandez. I mean, they were teammates. Maybe, maybe 2012. But anyways, all right, Junior. <laughs> so you obviously had your radio show in college, which we talked about trolling a bit. It was still a good show. East Coast Bias, great name. We got what a lot you, of people you, on there. Yeah, you, you get a good amount of people on. I even remember my, my question or what I said because it was around the time Ben Simmons was coming out. And people were concerned because he didn't make a NCAA. Oh, no, it was Markel Fultz. People were concerned because he didn't make an NCAA tournament. And I was like, well, Ben Simmons never made an NCAA tournament. Baba Booey, Howard Stern's penis. That's literally <laughs> what I said. Anyways, um, so you had your radio show in college. And you, what, what have you been up to now since college? What are you doing? I know you're working at ESPN 1000. Yeah, so I can give you guys the whole rundown and feel free to – butt in and ask any questions and we can get off tangents. I mean, you know, I love those, but, uh, after college, uh, I didn't take a job immediately. I was trying to find something because it's not the easiest field to kind of just work your way into immediately once you graduate. Uh, so my first job out of school was in this really small market it's a town about an hour outside of Pittsburgh. It's actually not even in Pennsylvania. It's in West Virginia. It's in that little strip that what they call the panhandle in between Pennsylvania and Ohio. This really small town named Wheeling, West Virginia. I got a job there as a producer at a talk radio show or yeah, radio station. And you'll find similarly across the country that most stations don't just have one number. It's not, you know, 1050 AM. They have, you know, maybe an AM and an FM station, maybe two AMs. It doesn't matter. But so we had two uh, FM stations there uh, on two different frequencies and two different studios. So I was a producer for both of those. We had a number of shows throughout the day. And then we had a couple of specialty shows at night and on the weekends. And then we covered all the local, like, Boys and girls sports, so that was football, basketball, uh, baseball, softball, the big hitters. So that was uh, that was interesting. I was there for almost two years, and it definitely was that, that typical starter job where you needed it in order to kind of progress yourself into the, to the next step. So I was commuting uh, two hours every day to and from to get there. Uh, so that already wasn't ideal, but 
the experience was good. It was much needed. I mean, I had, as you guys mentioned, my, my show in college and I did that just with friends and that was self-produced, but it's a different game when you're producing someone else's show. I mean, you guys have this show now, which is amazing and you guys control it, but when it's someone else's show and you are the producer of it, you kind of have to treat it as if it's a, as if it's like a, a child of theirs. Like this is something that they've worked toward that they now have, and they are trusting you with their, their property, with their like intellectual property, essentially. And it's kind of this thing that I've described to people as, you know, it's a lot different. Like it's a lot different from like a typical nine to five job where you kind of go in and you have meetings or whatnot, and you have projects that you work on and you have, or you have pitches that you work on and whatnot. For us, it's like every day is a pitch or every day is a project. And you don't, you don't go into work with a, a presentation and, and think that, oh, I'm just going to half-ass this thing and no one's going to really notice. Like for us, like you have like an audience that people listen to. And so you want to make sure it hits every single day. So like, Ari, you've been complaining a little bit like your – your feed right now is freezing a little and you're concerned because you don't want that to come across on, on the finished product of this, right? Like that's what it's like. I mean, when you're watching TV or when you're listening to a, a sports like play by play on the radio, right? Like you'll hear maybe like a little pause or you'll see like the TV freeze for a half a second and you're just on your couch saying like, okay, like this is annoying, but I know it's going to come back in like a couple of seconds and eventually it does after like hopefully no more than like five or 10 seconds. But on the opposite side of that, back in like the control room or like where the broadcast is happening, I swear to God, it's like World War Three in there because this is what you're paid to do. You're paid to make sure everything you do goes smoothly. And even if it's five to 10 seconds in that moment, you know, you're not expecting something to go wrong because you're trying to do everything right. And if something goes wrong, those five seconds feel so much more longer than just that. So if it's not your thing, you know, if it's your thing, you can kind of say, okay, you know, it's my thing. I can live with it. But if it's someone else's, they're concerned because their instant reaction is what is going on? What is my producer not doing? And it's not always like they assume the worst, but they expect you to kind of take care of them. So that's what I learned probably the most from that first job was I can't just say like, okay, Ari's calling into my show or Drew's kind of being Drew Paul, who I co-hosted for majority of the time during my time during uh, doing that show in Indiana you know, Drew's kind of dicking around or like not taking it so seriously because I mean, that would happen. You know, we would, we would, we would go out to Roy some nights and then, you know, take like an hour break to go do the show again. Or we would be going out later that night and we would kind of pregame a little at our place and then still do the show. So you were allowed to do that. It was a college experience. That's what college is for. It's to learn. But once I got out, it was definitely a, an eye-opening experience learning how much people rely on you. So I did that and it was in wheeling and it was definitely a great learning experience. Definitely something I'm proud to say I, I did because I put a lot of work into it. I mean, I know people who live in bigger cities like you guys, like live in New York, live in Chicago and like the commute with like wherever it, you guys live, like on a train or whatever, walking blockage 
or blocks of cities, you know, it takes a long time. But, you know, I had to do the same thing, even though Pittsburgh's not a big city, I still had to do that hour long commute each way. And it really taught me the value of what hard work can bring for you or, or how much hard work really takes to earn. So I did all that and it was a great learning experience. And there's no doubt that the job I have today, I would not have gotten without those two years spent in wheeling. But it was definitely something that I was like, okay, I'll do this. I'll put my head down, but I'm ready to kind of move on even as soon as I started because you know, we're, we're younger, we're millennials or maybe even Gen Zers, if you will. We're, we're always looking to that next, for that next step. So like literally it was within months that I had started at that job in Wheeling. Like, I think it was about four months that actually I was talking to Daniel Weiss about possibly bringing me on to the Turner team, but that didn't work out and it's all good, you know, but Daniel definitely uh, played a big part of me trying to make a, a next step very early on. And it's probably for the best that I didn't do that because I would have only spent four months at that job in Wheeling, which is definitely not as long as people would like for you to spend at one job looking at resumes. But it took about, you know, a year and a half or so for me to finally kind of say like, okay, I think I'm ready for the next thing for real this time. And I was applying to places all throughout Pittsburgh, stations throughout Pittsburgh, looking at Chicago, New York, LA, and then like a lot of similar size cities to Pittsburgh, you know, Columbus's and Colorado, like Denver or like Austin or, you know, New Orleans or Nashville or Raleigh, North Carolina. I'm just, I mean, there was, there was no end to where I was willing to go. And, you know, if you, anyone listening and you guys know this too, like the job searching process sucks so much. Like when you're ready to, to do something new, like it's basically a full-time job in itself, finding that next job. So, you know, I was, you know, knees deep in applications. I mean, anytime that I wasn't really in, in the city of Wheeling, I was either driving to and from the city of Wheeling or I was back home looking for work. And it was, I think it was good too, the wheeling job, because it wasn't necessarily the thing I wanted to keep doing. So that kind of gave me that extra push to keep working to find the next thing. And there were so many applications that I had sent out that one day I kind of, whenever you would get a callback or a response to a resume sent, you were just like, you had to think like, okay, what exactly are they replying to for me? Because there were so many applications sent out that I, really lost track. And so by the time I had gotten this call back for the job I have now, it was kind of similar to that. I was like, okay, remind me again what I applied for and where this application was. When I went in for the interview, I had to refresh my memories to exactly the exact position I was going for. But uh, it ended up working out and the job turnover was very quick. Once I got an interview, it was, I was starting to train for that job within two weeks, kind of just because I had told them I was ready to do so. And it had come at a very busy season for them. So the job I have now is a producer at ESPN Pittsburgh. And like I mentioned earlier with the wheeling station, it's one station is ESPN Pittsburgh, but there's seven total. So there's like a local rock station and a local country station, 
a local talk station. I mean, there's a bunch, and then there's specific ones for like the Steelers and the Penguins of which we broadcast their games. So in total, I think there's like seven or eight of us there. And so I work primarily for ESPN, but I do a lot of work for our other stations, uh, kind of filling in if they need me. And then I obviously do a ton of work with the the Steelers and the Penguins focus stations too. So I've been there since uh, September of 2019, and it was great. And like I said, I, I kind of joined right in the height of their peak season, which happens to be Steeler season. And for a lot of a lot of major cities with NFL teams, you can kind of say it's easy to say that any team with an NFL team even if they're good or they're bad, it's like the it's the team with like the most following, right? It's a team where it's just because that's how the NFL goes, right? Like the NFL is the biggest league when it comes to money. The NFL teams cost the most money unless you're the Yankees. You know, these are the most popular teams. Football has the biggest following. So I came in in September, right in the beginning of the Steelers season in 2019. So I had missed the whole off season, which I wasn't thrilled about, but it was that was when I got the call back, so I couldn't do anything about that. But I kind of jumped in, and I jumped in at a really weird time for the Steelers. I had joined the team the week that Ben Roethlisberger went down with a season-ending elbow injury. So my first season spent with the team was without a quarterback. It was with guys like Mason Rudolph and. Devlin Hodges, who was, I mean, a practice squad guy who had to be brought in because Ben Roethlisberger went down. And, you know, like like any NFL team with a franchise quarterback, you don't prepare for your franchise quarterback to go down. And Devlin Hodges, this, this random name that I keep bringing up, got a lot of action because our number one backup, Mason Rudolph, went down also repeatedly with – different injuries. And if you guys remember, this was the season, it was a Thursday night game. It was Pittsburgh at Cleveland and oh, yeah. it ended with a fight between Mason Rudolph and Miles Garrett, the DN from uh, Cleveland. It ended with Mason Rudolph kind of getting mad at Miles Garrett, kind of hitting him when there was, the game was basically over and the Steelers were just kind of, they still had the ball with like seconds left. And Miles Garrett was playing as if it was the first quarter of the game was still fresh and, and up for grabs. So Mason Rudolph got pissed at Miles Garrett. And Miles Garrett kind of ripped off Mason Garrett's helmet and then whacked Mason Garrett in the head with his helmet, which could have been like a concussion leading injury, but luckily it wasn't. But that was uh that was probably the the biggest story we had out of that season. But, uh, I mean, the job's been really cool. I never thought I would say at this young of an age, I started when I was 24, that I was going to be working with the the NFL team that I grew up rooting for my whole, my whole childhood and adult life. But I've met a lot of people. It's been really cool. And then it, it was really great. And, and with the Penguins, too. I mean, the Penguins are a great team. And I kind of came in right after they made their back-to-back Stanley Cup runs. And it was really cool. I was meeting a lot of people, but then all of a sudden COVID hit. And I know COVID hit a lot of people a lot of different ways and a lot of industry a lot of different ways. But, I mean, 
I remember COVID and I think a lot of people will remember COVID kind of crashing down on our lives. Uh, like the, the moment when we can all point to when COVID really hit was when we were watching, it was probably like a Tuesday or Wednesday night. And I believe the game was in Oklahoma city. It was just the game that was on NBA TV that night, or maybe on TNT. And they got on the, the PA announcers at the game got on and said, everyone has to go home. The game is being postponed because there was a COVID outbreak somewhere. It may have been like a Utah versus OKC game because of the Rudy Gobert thing. And then the Utah Jazz as a whole kind of had a COVID outbreak within their within their team or within their locker room. I mean, that's when I will always remember when, you know, 20, 30, 40 years down the line, point to that night and say, it was that game that I was watching, whatever game of the week or game of the night it was on TNT. And they literally showed the people having to leave the game, leave the stadium before the game even started saying, this is it. And then like the next day, the NBA said, we're postponing the season. And then no, they I think they, they, they postponed the season that night. And that's because I remember I was out with some friends and that's when I realized, oh, like this shit is for real because the NBA just canceled the season. Right. When do I get to go work from home? Right. I mean, that for us, like going in the next day was one of the weirdest days probably of my life because we have, you know, we are ESPN Pittsburgh and we don't have an NBA team. And it wasn't until the next day that the NHL postponed their season. But we, we didn't even, I don't, the Penguins weren't playing that night because we would have been talking about the game that next day. and. We the whole day was just spent talking about the NBA, which is unheard of in Pittsburgh because there is no love for basketball in this city. I mean, the only like the only major college around here is the University of Pittsburgh, and that team has been complete ass for the past basically decade. So there's been there's really no NBA following or basketball following for real in this city. But the whole day was spent about talking about how the NBA was postponed and how that game got canceled like right before it was supposed to happen. It was the weirdest day like I'll probably ever spend in work. And then from that point on, it was just, I was, I was just transported into this different industry. It really became like a different industry because everything became virtual and it's hard to do that when you're, when you're in sports and everything is supposed to be in person and everything is supposed to be watched in person and everything became virtual. So the COVID outbreak, I mean, it hit everyone, but it was, it was no different for us. Like it hit us like a brick wall and we had to adapt and we had to adapt fast. I got to remember how to talk. I haven't talked in like 20 minutes. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I told, I could, Go on and on. I didn't mean to dominate the conversation there. No, you're good, Junior. We're, we're going to ask you one more question, and then you're going to take us through to the end. No, I'm kidding. We covered <laughs> a lot of ground there. Circling back to your first job in Wheeling, you said you had an hour-plus commute both ways. Would you listen to the radio to and from your drive to work, or would you leave it at the office? It's a good question, because now I do. Like Now I, I, I like to listen to our guys. But the stuff that we covered out there was really local to that community. So I wasn't really involved with that community. So there would be time, like the shows that I would work on that day 
you know, I was there for that day. But if I was driving to and from, like, I was about to be working on something there. So I wouldn't, I would, I, so to answer your question plainly, no, I would not listen to their shows in the car. It's just, it's just, it wasn't pertinent to me. It wasn't relative to me. So I had no reason to listen to it. And the stuff that I worked on, I worked on while I was there and that was about it. And I was proud of the work that I did there. But once I was done, it was also the fact too, that once, you know, there were a lot of days where I would take the, the morning shift and a lot of days where I took like the night shift. And so a lot of stations do this where they kind of just play like national stuff before they come on. So there were a lot of times when, you know, I didn't have to have that issue because they were playing national whatever. And at that point I was already listening to whatever national stuff I was already choosing to listen to, whether that was, you know, ESPN or Bleacher Report of the Ringer, the Athletic, whatever. It didn't matter. It was stuff that I was choosing to listen to, so I didn't have that problem. But so to answer your, your question plainly, no. I, I chose that hour or those two hours of car time to kind of either listen to stuff that I wanted to listen to or catch up with friends because it was a good great opportunity, an hour in the car solo to just – call some friends up but uh no I, I i didn't do that then but now it's kind of almost impossible not to come to work every day and not have paid attention to what the people i'm going to work with are saying so now you cover local sports but major league obviously yeah hockey nfl yeah. i guess like has your job changed a lot like in terms of the production role is it kind of a increase in scale or I guess what, what's been the change other than the teams that you cover? You're saying from my old job to my current job or from yeah. post COVID? Uh, yeah. Let's just do your old job, do your new job. So yeah, I mean, back then it was all local stuff and it was all local high school sports. Now we do, I mean, yeah, now we do national and it's really, it's not even like a, in terms of like coverage, like, who we cover it's who we talk to like the guests that we get like when the one of the best examples i can think of is when doc emmerich retired a couple months ago uh we got doc emmerich on so it's it's you're going from just like a local high school girls basketball coach and wheeling to doc emmerich so it, it's stuff like that that i can really point to and say this is the the elevation of the scale of which i've jumped to you know, so it's cool. I mean, and like I said, like I've gotten to meet and talk to a lot of people I normally would not have had the normal chance to at my old job. But I mean, I mean, we are an ESPN affiliate. So like we have ESPN connections. We have a national audience. I mean, ESPN is an international company and we're owned by iHeartMedia, which is an international company. So, yeah, I mean in terms of scale, it could not be, it could not have been a, a bigger leap from one job to the next because, and that was the, that was the thing, Sam, to answer, to kind of incorporate your previous question about, did I listen? No, because like at the time I wasn't interested in hearing what people were talking about in that community. It's nothing against them. It's just, I wasn't living there. If I was living there, it'd be different. I, I want to say up to date, but now it's like we get these guys, we get these national guys. I mean, on our one hockey station, we get a lot of 
big hockey guys. We get a lot of, you know, Barry Melrose or Scott Burnside. We get the big names, and it's cool. And so I want to hear those conversations, you know. And when it comes to the Steelers, I mean, we bring in a bunch of old players. We bring in guys like Donnie Shell, who's now a Hall of Famer, Terry Bradshaw, Alan Fanica, who's now a Hall of Famer. We get these guys, and, like, so, yeah, I mean, I, I want to hear those conversations happen. Uh, we got Schefter one day last year, which was sick, which – and we only had him for, like, 15 minutes, but it was still, like, 15 of the coolest minutes probably of, like, that whole month or maybe even, like, that month and, like, the next two months to get Adam Schefter on our show, which – or our station. It's awesome. So, yeah, it's totally different in terms of my interest level and my own level – and my own work, too. Junior, it's a, it's a shame – we never got to see a uh, a Blackhawks Pittsburgh Stanley Cup. Yeah, all right. My friend and I, Crowley, who's one of our hosts, we talk about that all the time. My friend Adam Crowley is one of our hosts. He's a huge hockey guy, and we've spent a lot of time talking about that because him and I have a very similar background. He went to WVU. Uh, him and this other guy named West Euler, who's one of our hosts slash producers also. They both went to WVU. They both did a show together there, actually, and they both ended up here at ESPN Pittsburgh. The three of us will talk about that a lot, how it's a shame because, you know, they went to WVU and a lot of the other people that I work with didn't go to bigger schools. We're, we're one of the few guys who went to, like, a Big 12 school or a Big 10 school where you get scenes of kids from all over the country. So I would talk to them a lot about all of my Chicago friends and how much shit we would talk each other about. Like, I think our freshman year is when you guys won your third cup, I believe. I I think it was my sophomore year because it was 2010, 2013, and 2015. Okay. So our freshman year then, that must have been the LA Kings year. So we, I mean, like, yeah, it was the LA Kings because the Blackhawks lost in Game Seven in overtime. I don't know um, if you guys know any of our friends from LA who are actually Kings fans, so no one was really talking anything that year. The only person I remember talking shit to was my uh, old roommate, Big Mike Rothman, because I believe it came against the Rangers. Yeah, it was Kings Rangers, and I think the game, I think the series went five games or something. I was like, Mike, yeah. you really think the Rangers? I, no, yeah, I went to the uh, the Kings Blackhawks Western Conference Finals Game Six in LA that year, and it was a clinching game for the Kings. And like ten, you like a clinching game in Chicago or Pittsburgh. Ten minutes before puck drop, that place is filled. People are wa- waving oh, yeah. like towels. It's crazy. There was no one there, and there was more Blackhawks fans there, which was crazy. That doesn't surprise me at all. And the Blackhawks I mean, won and lost in Game Seven. They don't. They don't really deserve that team and quick side note one of the bigger pieces of that team jeff carter was just acquired by the penguins right before the trade deadline a couple days ago so the penguins are hoping that we can bring some veteran playmaking and some stanley cup experience but just had to make that quick plug real quick but yeah i mean the only shit i was talking with that our freshman year of college was on to mike saying mike like your rangers weren't supposed to be there do you really think that was going to be a series and I mean, Mike's the most lovable guy. Mike's not a big talker, but I pushed his buttons a little. He was a little upset with me then. But, yeah, so what it was our sophomore year, you guys beat the Lightning. 
I believe. Yeah, it was the Lightning. All right, yeah. So in 20, uh, 2013, it was the Bruins when they scored the two goals in 17 right. seconds. Yeah, right. And then it was the Lightning in f- six. No, five, I think. Five or six. But anyways, it back was to what we were saying, series. though, is like the, the Penguins and the and the Blackhawks were Never trading. Never got that chance. Yeah, but they it, were trading so cops, which would have been, been cool. We had those like back-to-back dynasties kind of interchange with LA it was you guys went back and forth with LA Chicago LA Chicago LA or Chicago LA Chicago LA Chicago and then right after that it was Pittsburgh back to back so yeah it's a shame that Pittsburgh never really got involved I really thought I think it was the second year the Pens won the cup where because I think didn't Patrick Kane or Johnny Taze go down for the year one year no no there was something that happened where the Blackhawks had a bad and off year the first year the Pens won the Cup. But it was the second year the Pens won the Cup where I really thought it was going to be Pens-Blackhawks. And I was so scared because I didn't know how we were going to uh, shape up against you guys. But you ended up getting swept by Nashville in the first round, and that's who we ended up seeing in the Cup final. But yeah, yeah. It, it is a shame because, I mean, you guys – there's only two kids from Pittsburgh that we were all friends with. That's me and Adam Indiana. And I mentioned how Mike Rothman's a quiet guy. No one's quieter than Adam when it comes to talking shit about sports. The guy just simply doesn't talk at all. But he's my best friend, so it's all good. I, I make up for it. I mean, I was I was basically the face of Pittsburgh sports, and it was me butting heads with every guy in our house. It was basically one against 200. And I was I was up to the task. But I never got that chance to go up against all you Chicago kids. And I really yeah. – even even if we lost, I really wish I would have had that chance. The the Pirates weren't very good, but but the the Penguins and the Steelers were very good. So you were you were able to, like, you know, butt the, head. Pi- the Pirates had, like, that three-year stretch, actually, our freshman through junior year. And it came to an end in the wild card game in Pittsburgh with Jake Arrieta having his Cy Young winning year, unfortunately. Not yeah, not a, a great year, but that was really the only time where Pittsburgh and Chicago came directly head-to-head in terms of our time, our four-year spent in Pittsburgh, or our four-year spent in Indiana. But, I mean, yeah, I never shied away from that. But and that's that's a great thing about sports is that it's it's a rivalry no matter how big or small the rivalry actually is. And it's it's – hard when you're working now for a local station because you gotta you kind of have to like tread lightly because you don't want to make real enemies out of other people's like broadcasters because sorry then you're not gonna like be featured on their shows you're not gonna want to they're not gonna want to come on your shows either so you can kind of like go back and forth jokingly on twitter a little bit but you really gotta you can't like do what like what we would do in school like when our senior year when the falcons were playing the the patriots in the super bowl that whole two-week period me and mark yellen would spray paint like atl or falcons or whatever we bought cans of spray paint and did it all over drew paul's door drew paul's room like we did not relent when it came to talking shit on the Patriots or giving Drew shit. I mean, Mannheimer knows this too. Like one of our favorite memories in terms of sports 
during IU was when any Boston team would lose, one of us had to be present with Drew so that we could get like this picture of him in the moment of which he lost. And we could have, we probably could have made up like an album of all the times the Patriots or the Bruins or the Celtics or the Sox lost like a big game because we would take all these, we would try to be there in the moment, but the worst came against that, against that Falcons team in the Super Bowl because we were all watching the game together and we chose not to watch with Drew. We let him watch with, with Lucas and I don't know who else was there, but we, we chose not to watch with him. But we were all screaming at the TV in elation when the Pats took that or when the Falcons took that big lead. But then when he came home after that game ended, it was a nightmare for us. I mean, we had given him hell for two weeks leading up to that game spray painting and like busting down his door and whatever. But then he paid it back pretty much evenly for the next two weeks after that, once Tom Brady had the best comeback in, in Super Bowl history. But yeah, I mean, that's why, that's why sports are great, right? I mean, because of the rivalry, because you can have so much fun with it. Yeah. And future hall of famer, Julian Edelman had that crazy catch. Crazy. Right. Exactly. When he gets in, that'll be the, that'll be the clip they play first. Yeah. Before Heinz Ward. Probably before Heinz Ward. Edelman does have the second most postseason catches. That comes, that comes with the 18 games played, unfortunately. I mean, when you play that many games, you better have, what, the second most, I, I believe, behind Jerry Rice. So it, you'd be frowned upon if you didn't, you know. But I, I have no problem frowning upon Julian Edelman. I'll do that any day. So speaking of football, speaking of the Steel City, how about 11-0? How about it? Best so, team in the league, 11-0. Like I said earlier, my first season spent with a team was without Big Ben, which sucked. I mean, we would do shows in the Steelers' practice facility. We would do the games out of Heinz Field. We're responsible for, for broadcasting the games. And so we had to do all of that without Ben there. And everyone I work with has been at the station for at least a year before I got there. So they were used to seeing Ben. When we didn't show up to the practice facility, I mean, I would see Coach Salmon in the hall, and he would just give me a very straightforward, how's it going, son? And I would say, good coach, like, how are you? And I would get no answer, but that's all right. But I never got to see Ben, which was heartbreaking. And I was thinking, okay, 2020 is the year. I mean, I'll get to be there for OTAs. I'll get to be there for uh, the Combine. I was supposed to go to India. I didn't do that. I was supposed to go to the draft for draft coverage. I didn't do that either. And I was supposed to be there at training camp where they help, where they hold training camp in a local small college about an hour outside of Pittsburgh. I didn't get to do that. And then 11-0 comes and you're thinking, okay, everything that came with the virtual offseason doesn't matter because I get 11-0. I'm on top of the world. I have the best defense. I have a great offense. I have a great coach. And then it all came to a head. And Mannheimer knows this best. We are in this fantasy football league together, and I write these newsletters for us. And I would spend every week either trashing other teams like his Raiders or Drew's Patriots or whoever. But I I would love, I would relish in the fact that it would, it would be a quick ending. I would just say, you know, in our NFL recap, you know, Mannheimer's Raiders may have won or lost, and Drew's Pats probably lost because they sucked last year. And real quickly, I mean, I don't need to go into depth about this in the newsletter because you guys already know my Steelers won this week. 
Have a good week. We'll see you next time. But then 11-0 came crashing down and ended with a 12-4 record with a 0-1 postseason record. It was devastating. I mean, I've never felt worse. I, I have said ever since that playoff loss against the Browns that I have I will I have yet to do so and I will never go back and watch a single highlight from this season. It's so totally, it's like what's the point of remembering a play and remembering a game if I know how it ended? You guys the well, the Steelers spent decades beating up on the Browns. Was there any part of you that felt good for the Browns that they were able to nudge out a postseason win against no. the Steelers? No. No, Ari. I mean, like, do you you guys got bullied for year for decades being bullied by the Cardinals. Do you did you not uh, more like the Packers? The Packers. Okay, but I'm I'm trying to talk about yeah. winning teams. You know, the Bears still haven't won in your lifetime. So you got bullied by you got bullied by the Cardinals for decades and the Cubs finally won. Did you not feel bad? Oh, I thought you were talking NFL for a second. And I was like, when did the bear, when were the bears getting bullied no, by the no, bears? No, 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 no. I'm sorry. I should have like, made that just, The better. Yeah, but, you, but, but it's, but it's different because you were the bully in this. Okay. Instance. That's fair. Your Do team you was the bully. Fans felt good having you guys beat them on their way to. No, probably not. No, exactly. I mean, that was the best part about this older brother, little brother rivalry was that the older brother always wins. There were a handful of times when the Browns would get one win on us in the regular season. We would split whatever. We would still go 11 and five or 12 and four, or 10 and six. The one loss to the Browns didn't kill us, but we went, I think it was week five or week six that the Browns and Steelers met for the first time this past year. And I was so nervous for that game. And the final score ended up being 35-7. to And I thought, okay, fantastic. This was just another year where the Browns thought, you know, the Browns were the 2020 offseason champions. You know, they talked the most hype. They were the most electrifying team in the offseason. But when it comes to the real thing, the regular season, they – they fall flat against the good teams, and that's what happened against us. And you remember, I believe it was week one or week two, they got beat by the Ravens like 42 to 14, something like that. So the fact that they had played only two real teams in the first six weeks and they were division teams and they got throated 35 to 7 and like 42 to 14, like made me feel great. And so we didn't play them again until week 17 when we rested all of our starters, TJ Watt, Ben, everyone, no one played in that game. And we only lost that game, but I think by seven points, we made it a legitimate game. It was in Cleveland. They were playing. They were a winning. I let them in. Huh? They, they got in the playoffs on that game. Yeah, they were a winning in team. They hadn't locked up a spot. They had to win that game. And with our B team in Cleveland on the road, when they had to win that game, we only lost by a touchdown. So the fact that we were playing in the next week, I thought, okay, we are now back in Pittsburgh. We now have all of our major guys coming, all of our starters coming back. There is no way we lose this game. And then first play of the game, it's a it's a fumble recovery in the end zone and it just spelled disaster. It, it sucked. It was it was the most heart wrenching loss I've ever experienced as a sports fan. By far, like nothing, nothing comes close. I mean, 
I I would say this. I love the Penguins, but when the Pirates are good, the Pirates are easily my number two team, but I haven't – I've only had three years of that, so I have to say the Penguins are my number two team. But even when the Penguins – or the Pirates lost in that wildcard game against the Cubs, when they lost the wildcard game against the Giants the year before that, and when they lost the NLDS against the – the the Cardinals the year before that, those were all, I thought, some of the most heart-wrenching losses I've ever experienced. Another one was the Tim Tebow game, if you guys remember, uh, in Denver, Pittsburgh in Denver. First play of overtime, Tim Tebow throws like an 80-yard touchdown pass to Demarius Thomas. That sucked because we should have beaten them. We should have crushed them. But it all, it, it, nothing will ever compare to this, to this season as a whole. I mean, this season as a whole will go down as my least favorite season, individual season for any of these teams because of the way it happened. I mean, Manny, you opened the conversation by saying 11-0, and we all knew what you meant, and it, it sucks. It, it, it sucks. And no, I don't feel good for the Browns at all. I hope that – you know, Baker just had one good year, and he really doesn't pan out. I hope Miles Garrett, he was a scumbag for throwing his helmet against Mason Rudolph's head tr- with the purpose of trying to give him a concussion. I mean, you don't do that unless you're trying to harm the guy maliciously. All right, so you're, you're pointing the finger at a lot of other teams. I think you kind of need to be a little bit reflective here. You got to admit, 90% of this was Juju's fault. So I love that you bring that up because it's a huge deal. I got to take a sip of water. Well, I'll, I'll, while you do that, I'll pause here for a second. Say I was in uh, Florida and we were getting bikes to ride around. And this guy approached me because I was wearing a Raiders hat and we were talking about football. And he was a Steelers fan. This guy was kind of a shut up and dribble kind of guy. But he, he <laughs> nonetheless, he said that like he did not want Juju back. <laughs> And he's like, dude, he's an idiot. Like, and I, I kind of got it. And I, I honestly want to hear what your opinion is on that. So it's tough. It's tough because he is as big of a fan favorite as it comes in the city of Pittsburgh across all three teams. He is the fan favorite. He is the TikTok star. And that's why he's the fan favorite. Corvette, Corvette. Corvette, Corvette. Even, the, I mean, the worst part about that really quick was the fact that the Steelers in that playoff loss were in the middle of that of a comeback effort, but then they punted the ball in like a fourth and two, and then the Browns proceeded to then use that next drive to to score a touchdown, and from that point on, the game was out of our hands. And I think at one point we were either down by 14 or 21, and you could see like literally as they were as they were coming out of the huddle, lining up. Juju is doing the Corvette Corvette dance to the Brown sideline while down three touchdowns in the playoffs. I don't know how you can look at that and say, oh, I love this guy. He's our ride or die because that guy just clearly is not focused on the game of football. That guy is focused on the brand of Juju Smith-Schuster. Yeah, but, but the Steelers only brought him back on a one-year deal. And he apparently could have taken a longer deal, longer term deal for more money. But he said he loved Pittsburgh. Yeah, I mean, that's great, Ari. I mean, I'm not throwing him some big parade for saying, thank God Juju is a team player. That wasn't a team player move. That was 
The market is cold right now. The cap for the first time in, I believe, 15 years went down for the first time. It's about to skyrocket up next year. It's projected to go up by like 15 or 17 million next year. So Juju's going to get his money next year. He didn't take – he has a good money. year. He didn't take this pay cut. I mean, he's got Ben Roethlisberger throwing him the ball. I mean, he didn't have a good year this past year. He had he had wide receiver two numbers. I mean, he led the he didn't even he didn't lead the league in touchdowns. I believe he only led the team in receiving yards by like a hundred or hundred and fifty yards, and he had it with I believe south of a thousand yards. I it was like eight hundred some yards. It's not a good year, and he was still considered the number one receiver on the market. The guy, I mean, the guy does not deserve a parade. The guy doesn't deserve a statue for what he did. Yes, he could have gone to the Chiefs, but in Pittsburgh, he's wide receiver one. In Kansas City, I don't even know if he's wide receiver. He's not wide receiver one because Tyreek Hill's there. He'd probably be wide receiver two, but he'd be option number three because of Travis Kelsey. I mean, you think so taking a one year deal with Kansas City being option number three, he's going to have a better year there? Absolutely fucking not. No way. So this was all a, a, a for the brand juju move by him taking this deal with Pittsburgh. Yes, he could have maybe had better chances to win the Super Bowl with Kansas City had he gone there. But this was all for Juju to take this small deal so that he can get all that money back next year. People, it? It's a very it's a, it's a tale of two cities here in Pittsburgh. If you're a fan, you're saying, thank God we got Juju back. I, I love the kid. He's a ride or die. But if you're, if you're paying attention, if you're in the media, it's a totally different narrative. It's, we understand why Juju took this deal. This was for him. Good for him that he was able to come back to this team, a team that he's familiar with. And, I mean, he was able to do so because Ben Roethlisberger is here. I mean, there's no question had, along with Phillip Rivers, if Ben Roethlisberger opted to retire after this year, that Juju would have come back. I mean, you're telling me Juju would have taken a pay cut to catch passes from Mason Rudolph? Hell fucking no. There's no way he would have done that. So it's not it's not like a shut up and dribble, like get off, like, you know, this is your job type of thing. Like if you want to turn to social media to to have a voice for social change or or justice, you know, do it. But Juju's on TikTok. He's on Instagram Live for him and only him. So Juju, I mean, like. I'm not saying I'm not saying everyone else is shut up and dribble, but I'm telling Juju to shut up, shut up and dribble because the story became there. There were only two narratives to last year. It was 11 and 0 to 12 and 4, and it was Juju Smith-Schuster on TikTok dancing on logos. And you don't want that. I mean, I don't I don't want that. Everyone's on TikTok, right? Like I have a TikTok. I don't use it, but I have it. I don't have one. I have one. I don't use it. But, I mean, majority of, of this generation has one. And Juju's a young kid. Juju's, I think, 22 years old. Like, it's absurd for him not to have a TikTok. So have one, but don't become the story. Like, that's the biggest issue we have is he became the story. And it was awful that the two narratives were so negative and a horrible – or a great start but a horrible end and then Juju being this big distraction.
I think his magnum opus, though, despite all the new school debauchery and dumb shit that he does, was an old school, they're the Browns, and then just get spanked. That was my favorite. Because you knew you were going to lose as soon as he came out and said they're the same and then, old Browns. And then what's really damaging about Juju was our our rookie of the year, our team rookie of the year, Chase Claypool, who's a great receiver. I think he's bound for great things. But in an interview, he was asked – actually, I was, he was doing like a – a stream. He was doing like a Fortnite Twitch stream or something. And he was on there and someone talked about the Browns and this was after the playoff loss. And he was like, yeah, I think they're going to get blown out. They suck by the chiefs. And I'm like, and everyone's like, did you not just lose to this team? And you're still saying they're trash and they're going to get blown out. You just lost to them. What are you doing? And that came, I think that came at the heels of in this one interview, uh, Claypool was asked, you know, in the receiver room, like how had Juju is kind of the veteran guy there. He's been with the team the longest. So he's the veteran. What has been his biggest influence on you? What has been the greatest lesson he's taught you? And this is so, so painful to hear as a Steelers media member or even a Steelers fan. It, it had nothing. His answer had nothing to do with on the field. It was he told me how to build up my brand. And it's like, bro, that wasn't what they were looking for. They were saying, like, how do you read defenses or how do you prepare best for certain teams or how do you go into AFC North rival games? And he said, no, 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 no. He taught me the value of going on TikTok, the value on on, on Twitch streaming my Fortnite games. And, like, like, that is the best thing that Juju has taught you is – the value of your own brand and what it means to put money into your own pocket and not help a team. I mean, I get it like that. Like you can say like his magnum opus Juju's was totally getting embarrassed by the Browns after saying that they're, they're just the Browns. But I think that was it. It wasn't even something that he had done. It was something said by someone else saying the biggest influence that a teammate had on him was not anything football related. It was, selfishly related which is just horrible horrible All right. so long story short sounds like the brown or the steelers might be going to shit um i want to pivot for a second i don't remember why you had to but i remember it was like one of the final days of school i'm at roy's and you're sitting there and you're taking an act why did you have to take an act when you were All right, i believe wasn't that you who took that picture I believe I might have a picture of you taking the ACT. I'm going to take a look. but I think you took the picture because, like, you a couple of times after that sent me, like, the one-year-ago Snapchat memory. But I yeah, have a few so, funny snaps of you. I have a really good one coming up that I will send you. I sent it to Manny today. Uh, this, uh, this fantasy football league that we that Manny and I have been in since we were freshmen or sophomores at – IU together so it's been like seven eight years already the one year of course the one year we decided to do a last place punishment was the year that I came in last place and so everyone in our in our league decided oh well if it's junior we have to make the punishment as bad as it can be so we spent the day day drinking and then like we like pre-game we went to dinner at I believe Quafon and then we went out, and I had to take the ACT, like, throughout the day. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. yeah. 
as you can see, I'm I'm on Rose's uh, Roy's uh, front patio, front deck, with a waterlong promptly next to me, and I was fucked up, and I had to take the ACT, and I think I took like each section at different parts. So like we went to Roy's to day drink, and I took one section, and then we went back to our place to pregame for dinner, and I took one there. Then they made me take one at dinner. And so I'm like trying to like, it's like the end of the year. So it was like one of our last like weeks together, weekends together. So I'm trying to enjoy one of our big dinners together. I couldn't do it because I'm doing this thing and they, they time me. Right. And the, the, the deal was I had to get above a certain score. Manny, I don't know if you remember what the score was. But it was something like respectable. It was something it was like that a twenty-two I could, or like, something, probably. It was something that I couldn't just go like a a a a a a a and just fill it all out. It was something like if the ACT I think is like out of thirty-six, I think I had to get like a twenty-one or a twenty-two. So I had to get like a not a horrible score. Like it's not a great score, obviously, but I had to get like a somewhat average score in order. Like if I didn't do that, I would be forced to take it again. But then I took back that last section. I think it was a Thursday night. I think we went out to sports. And I had to take the final section at sports, which I, I remember being the worst part about it. Because, like, I had to find, like, somewhere to sit down there. Because at Roy's, it was during the day. It was casual. We were we were just casually sipping on shit. So it wasn't a big deal. But at sports on a Thursday, I mean, it's packed. And it's one of the last Thursdays of the year. So it's extra packed. And everyone's enjoying it, and I'm just fucking in the corner taking it. It sucked. But I ended up passing. But then, of course, like like I said, like that was the one year up until then that we had decided to do a last place punishment. And by circumstance, because that was our senior year, we haven't all, all ten of us been together uh, since. We haven't been able to enforce a punishment since, so – the one year our league has done a punishment was the year that I came in last place. I don't know if that's a coincidence or not, but I feel like there was some collusion going on there in terms of of that punishment being enforced because everyone else has come in last place except like including me, but I was the only one who suffered a a punishment. Well, I've never come in last place, and that's the way that you avoid a punishment. You just don't lose. Uh, but yeah, I do because your team could get decimated by injuries. Good manager always figures it out. Um, Jacob, Jr., you are a great sport, and I think that's the only reason why you were able to take that test because I don't know that I would have been able to do it. I, I don't know if anyone else would have accepted it. There were there were times when in like our groups, because the season obviously ended in January or in December for fantasy, and that was in May that I was doing that. And you guys were like, make plans without me and you were like only if you take the act and so i have to like figure out i would have to like i would have to like steal drew's phone to see like what we were doing like what the dinner plan was that night or what the pregame plan was that night because you guys wouldn't tell me you guys would choose to say not until you take the act and i waited until like the last or second to last or third to last weekend of school to do so sucked it's like it wasn't that it was just bad during that time. It was bad throughout the year or that whole second semester because you guys used it on me, even though I wasn't taking the test. You 
you had it looming over my head for so long and I it just I should have just taken it gone done got it done with but I didn't and that kind of made the punishment worse Junior, another story that I need to touch on from college was an incident that occurred in your car and also in a shed that became known oh, as maybe. the wreck shed. Can you just... I'll you give you, I mean, in, in typical radio sports uh, fashion, I'll give you the play-by-play what happened. Yeah, please so do. So I was, I was living out. I was at uh, Park on Morton with Shine, Big Shine, Drew Pollan, and Big Mike at the time. Shout out 330 Morton. Uh, I mean, if anyone, if anyone can tell you about the black hole that 330 Parker Morton was, it's Sam Anheimer. Sam, Sam was one of the few people who refused to get sucked in by that black hole of an apartment. The best part of that apartment was the train tracks running behind it that you guys used to throw stuff onto and just call it training. You guys would take yeah, like rugs and stuff and just put it on the train tracks. There was a dumpster like three feet down the road from us but we just had the train tracks and it's not my proudest eco-friendly moment but certainly not my best eco-friendly moment but well, the train breaks it down it's like kind of like bio decomposing it I just guess so. expedites the process I guess so. there's a great picture somewhere i can send you guys manheimer i don't know if you remember it but the memory of it probably still lasts is the fact that we just weren't clean at all and so like the back of our place like there was the back door to the train and we wouldn't even, it was like, it was so easy to just take a bag once the trash got full and toss it over. But we wouldn't even do that. We would just let it build and build and build. And there was just so much trash lingering in our apartment. And the same thing happened in senior year at shingles too. the boxes, the pennies. I mean, those are other great stories about dirty living uh, in my experience, but I'll touch on the shed. Of course. Uh, So I lived out, but I forget what the class was and who I had the class with, but I would always drive from my place to the house in the morning because there were a bunch of us that had this one class together. I think it was like me, Merrick, maybe Mitch, maybe Ruzi. I really don't know what it was, but I, I know... Merrick, Mick, maybe Mikey was there too. I have no idea. But I, I remember Merrick, Mick, Mitch, and Mikey were there. Maybe not Ruzi. But I would always drive to the house, eat breakfast with them, and then we would go to class, and then I would come back for lunch, and then I would have class, and I would kind of just spend the whole day in and out of the house and at class and then drive back to my place at the end of the day. But I drove there, and I, I remember this one morning – I was I had two tests that day and I was really fucking nervous. And like in typical like any day where you have two tests, everything like goes wrong, right? So like I woken up late and so that meant I was getting to the house late. So it was like it was early in second semester, so it's winter. And so I'm doing this like three point turn in the back of our parking lot because I had to park on like the side of the fence, right where the guest spots were. And so I'm like backing up fast. And like, I pull in and I do this three point turn to come to the fence. And as I'm backing up, it's like winter time. So it's icy. And I'm, I like hit, I like hit the gas to back up quickly. And I hit this patch of ice and like, I lose control of the car and 
I slide right in. I, I can probably find – I don't have a picture of – I have a picture of the new shed. I don't have a picture of the old shed, but I do have a photo of the damage done to the vehicle. Let me try to find it real quick for you guys. But, yeah, I mean, talk about the worst way to start a day that you have two tests. So I had to send, like, the insurance forms to my two teachers that day because I had to put my car in. And so that was the whole thing was that I was late and I was trying to make sure that the guys didn't leave the house without me. And then they obviously ended up doing so because I was dealing with my car. But I'm trying. So here's a picture of the new shed. Brand new. Damn fine looking shed. Did you have to pay for that? I did. I didn't want, I wanted there to be like a plaque. But there was no plaque added. Which I mean, I was, if you paid for it, I would just pay an extra, like, 20 bucks and just get a little piece of metal with your name engraved on it. There was a lot more damage done to the shed than there was my car. It's kind of hard to tell here. But you can see the scratches. There's indents all along it. The back is totally fucked up. Yeah, that's that's tough. It was not not a good day. Not a good day at all. But yeah, that was, I mean, in terms of a story, it's definitely a story that I can easily recall. And the name just goes so well. The Junior Wrecked Shed. I mean, I, I wish, man, I never even thought to just say, okay, if I'm paying for this, I might as well throw down an extra hundo or something to get like a nice plaque on there. Because that shed still stands to this day. Yeah, Lord knows what's going on in it. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if it's maybe the same one. Maybe someone else had a, another incident. I remember. I mean, do you guys remember? I think it was the Waka concert, our senior year, when it was over and people kind of just like were trying to leave, but there was such a big crowd there that they kind of just like punched down the front fence, like the fence to our front yard, and people just exited through the fence through the front yard. I don't know if you guys remember that. So there was a that one kid in Delt stole the fence. I don't remember that. Him down. Some kid was drunk at a party and like ripped off one of the pieces of wood making up the fence and like ran halfway down Jordan. And people were like, dude, what are you doing? Do you, remember, do you remember that table that we built? Man, yeah, that Lucas destroyed. You know, Lucas just destroyed it. Yeah. Good, one. good stuff. Good one. Well, we could talk about breaking things in college until all day right the, the cows come home but uh junior i know we're, we're coming up here on about an hour and 15 minutes um really appreciate you going through all of the uh radio experiences that you've had as well as detailing the trials and tribulations of the steel city just bears mentioning that you guys did have at one point top five quarterback best running back and best receiver in the league and you guys didn't ever make the Super Bowl with that team. Uh, we got to a, we got to an AFC Championship game. I mean, there were a lot of season-ending inju- injuries. You probably don't remember Manheimer. No, no, I just remember the talent that you guys had and the lack of success that you guys had with it. Well, I mean, at the time, yes, but Le'Veon Bell is unsigned. Antonio Brown is unsigned right now. Super Bowl so, champion Antonio Brown. Put some respect Super Bowl on his champion. name. And actually, Super Bowl participant, or I guess, Le'Veon Bell. Super Bowl appearance because he actually never got to see a single snap in the Super Bowl. But you, yeah, you can call it the Super Bowl. What was it? Fifty-five. It was this past year. Yeah, former okay. Raider Antonio Brown. Former and, Raider. No, he never played, he never played he for us. Remembered as the Dealer Bowl, if you will. 
Yeah. But I mean, um, I mean, the Bulls, the Bulls are down by 20 at home to Orlando. But anyways, keep going. Orlando's a good basketball team though, and they're not trying to tank either. Yeah. I I actually you know relish in any NBA talk I can get involved in just because there's so little done in Pittsburgh, and that's why it's really challenging for me to talk about it just because everyone I work with doesn't talk about it and everyone like that we bring on our shows, like the guys we bring on our shows are like Pittsburgh guys or football guys or hockey guys. And like, they don't talk base or basketball. I think basketball is like the most selective sport out of all the four major sports. Disagree. I think, I think it's for sure hockey, but like, it's just hockey's very big in Pittsburgh especially because you've had a really good team yeah. and, you're, and you're a small market. But like, but like most of my friends either are from a city that has a hockey team or people in Chicago that like, like I, I'm going to be totally straight with you. Like outside of Taze, who's not even playing Kane and Duncan Keith. Like I don't know many players on the black. Cause I just like don't watch hockey. But like when they, not when they me, but, when, they, when the Hawks made those runs, though, I got you were watching. Oh no, hundred yeah. percent! I can name every team. I went to the parades. Um, I got some signed memorabilia from those teams. But like the Blackhawks are bad now, and I don't watch. When the Bulls are bad, I still watch. I mean, the Pirates are on pace to lose like 162 games this year. Like they're ass. I don't watch the Pirates this year. They have a decent rookie, Cabrian Hayes, and like you. Ari, I, I struggle to name anyone else. In terms of how bad the Pirates are, like they made this trade two years ago with Tampa Bay. They acquire Chris Archer for the cost at the price of Austin Meadows, who's now an all-star outfielder. And uh, it wasn't Charlie Morton. Who was it? It was Austin Meadows and... Another a, a pitcher of ours who I'm totally blanking on. That's how little I've paid attention to the Pirates these past couple of years. But it was such a bad trade. Austin Austin Meadows is now like an all-star outfielder for Tampa. Tampa just made the World Series, right? They just lost. Yeah, they just lost. And the trade has been so bad that we, we in this offseason – just traded back Chris Archer to the Rays for next to no one. It was Tyler Glasnow, who's now an all-star pitcher for the for the Rays as well. He was a World Series starting pitcher for them, to put it into perspective for you. So the fact that we gave up two all-stars and our best pitching prospect in return for Chris Archer, who I believe had like in in like his two and a half years spent with Pittsburgh, like a five and 12 record overall goes to show how bad he was. And, and the fact that we gave him back for next to nothing, that is, should tell you how bad the pirates are as a whole. It it sucks when you, when you at one point had a great team, like the Blackhawks and the pirates were pretty, pretty close to being great. in the early 2010s, and now they're just the absolute laughing stock of their league. It sucks. Yeah, but at least you guys have a baseball team. I think the best basketball experience or memory, I guess, that I have about Pittsburgh is when Kemba Walker crossed over that guy. Manheimer, I was I was in my – I think that was our sophomore year of high school. I was in the library 
at the time and we all had the TV turned on and I have no affiliation to Pitt whatsoever. Like I told you, like Pitt basketball means absolutely nothing to me. And that's the closest thing I have to an NBA team in terms of close to home. Right. So the fact that that happened and there were so many kids I went to high school with who were Pitt fans because either their parents went there or they wanted to go there or they had a sibling go there. These Pitt fans were so pissed. It was incredible. I mean, like we all love our own teams, but do you do we not love watching our rivals lose more so than we love to watch our own teams win? I mean, it's pretty even if you ask me. So watching all these Pitt fans get so crushed in just a matter of like two seconds of that shot going up against yeah, it was against JaVale McGee. It was Kemba Walker against JaVale, JaVale McGee JaVale McGee went to Nevada no not JaVale McGee it was Gary McGee sorry I keep saying yeah. JaVale McGee Gary McGee it was Gary McGee who was Pitt's center at the time oh my god How, what a mismatch Pitt's center who was who wasn't even that good but Gary McGee up against Kemba Walker a complete mismatch and everyone knew as soon as he took that step back it was done and then that that led that shot led UConn. I believe that was Pitt's first game in the Big East tournament because they were like a top seed. So UConn had either already played a game, but it was a total upset in itself. And then UConn went on to win the Big East tournament and then went on to win the whole thing against Butler uh, and the NCAA March Madness thing. But yeah, that was awesome. I mean, like in terms of crushing Pittsburgh sports moments, for Pitt fans, yeah, that's that's one of them. But for me, it's one of my favorites. All right, Junior, to close out here before we go, can I use this photo to to promote the episode? Yeah, absolutely. I when when I took me, this photo sophomore year. That's a great photo, Artie. I, I feel like I've seen every photo from that day. That photo was one of my favorite days of my life you're smiling you're in a speedo it kind of looks like like a sickle and a hammer on your speedo i'm not sure what the design is but that uh that speedo was provided by jacob zillick that shirt was provided by josh azorski uh so the whole outfit was provided by fraternity brothers i feel like you show up to the house naked like where what happened no i showed up i showed up in like normal clothes like shorts and a shirt but like also I had this photo with Sparker, my friend visiting, and you, Am you I in the background? You're in the back on the table. I took photo I took more photos with more people who I never met and never talked to after that day in my entire life. But again, that's one of my favorite days ever. I mean, college college is meant for days like that. And on on Nyman and Jason Gross's podcast, when they when I was a guest for them, they used a photo from that day to promote me. So, I mean, I, I, I never shy away from that day. People say like, aren't you a little embarrassed? Like that's a kind of unflattering photo. I was like, no, absolutely not. That's a great day. That's a day that I always cherish, will always cherish for the rest of my life. So feel free to use it. We'll use feel it at free. our discretion. Junior Rack, thank you so much for coming on the pod. Guys, I had a great time. I mean, talking sports, giving me an opportunity to tell my story. It means a lot that you guys gave me that opportunity. So much appreciated. Have a great one.